Well, good morning. Hello. <laughs> Uh, yeah, morning and well, very, very well, well, very welcome from me. A warm welcome from me. Uh, my name is Amy, as Johnny said, um, and uh, yes, hello. Now, a few uh, weeks ago, um, Johnny uh, came up and he um, shared and he told the story of uh, us as a family during half term. We went to a wave pool. Anyone remember that story? Uh, and he told us, didn't he, that he um, went on all these really fast rides and, uh, and that there was one particular ride he was explaining, I think he showed us a picture and everything, um, of this ride called the Torrent, uh, that, you know, you have to stand and the floor disappears and then you shoot down into this pool and, and you know, and we all thought, how brave. How brave! <laughs> Johnny, you were so brave and well done, and you were so brave. And just for the record, I did it as well. He didn't give me credit for, for going on that ride, but I did go on that ride. Thank you, thank you. <clears throat> um, but I, do you know, I'm just going to up him one, just a little bit today. Uh, and I think uh, on the screen there's going to be um, some photographs. Uh, but when I was 21, crazy 21-year-old, I went traveling, as many of you know, uh, around the world, and I, and I landed in New Zealand for a little bit, for a little bit of time in Queenstown, and, uh, and I uh, did a bungee jump, and it's called the Nevis bungee jump, and, uh, and 10 meters down a pool is brilliant, but 134 <laughs> meters. <laughs> I jumped out of that, and that isn't me, but that is me. I couldn't find the photo. It's been on our fridge for so long, but I couldn't find it this morning. But that's me, standing on this edge, ready to jump 134 meters off this, this thing that was kind of held in the air by these cables. Uh, and I jumped off. Um, I'm sure many of you in the room have also done that. Uh, but it was incredibly nerve-wracking, and honestly, I just I wouldn't do it now. 21-year-old, uh, naive me. But you know, this took huge amounts of faith, huge amounts of faith to jump off this little ridge into a valley in a different country. Um, you know, faith in the rope, faith that the rope isn't going to snap. I didn't know that it wasn't going to snap, but I had faith that the rope was not going to snap. Faith that the people who tied my legs together before I jumped off the edge of this uh, thing um, had done it correctly, that it was a knot that was tied up correctly. Faith that they had measured <laughs> the rope and that I was, in fact, going to bounce back before I hit the ground. You know, all of that. I didn't, I didn't, I just, I had faith, just believed that they had done their work. And I had seen people go before, and I was like, okay, I have faith for this. And you know, we have been in a series over the last few weeks of, in Galatians. And, uh, and today's passage, as Johnny read, is all about faith. And so we are going to spend a bit of time this morning, and we're going to have a look at faith and what it is. Okay, so a little recap uh, on what Galatians is all about. Uh, so Paul is writing to a group of churches in Galatia, uh, and he's writing this letter with passion, as others have explained to us in previous weeks, with passion and frustration. You know, he's heartbroken, he's heartbroken at Jewish Christians demanding that Gentile Christians must follow the rules of the Torah to belong, to be good enough for God. 
And you know, Paul is frustrated at the fact that they are pursuing a different gospel. A gospel that is Jesus plus human effort. Jesus plus human effort. This is a different gospel, and Paul is frustrated about this. And so Paul is writing to correct them. And they have, uh, they have been saved by grace, and now they're making it about works, what they do to be worthy of relationship with God. And so Paul is simply saying that it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so where Johnny has read to us, we are now at the end of chapter three, and Paul is explaining to the Galatians that it is not by their obedience to the law, to the Torah, but it is only through their faith in Christ Jesus that they are justified basically meaning to be made right before God, good enough, enough, worthy of relationship with him. And Paul goes on to explain that the law that was given by God to Israel was a temporary measure. You know, as Johnny read, the, read the, world, the word translated is guardian. It means child minder. It's a holding place until the coming of Jesus, where the law through Jesus's life death and resurrection would be fulfilled to bring redemption to all people. And so what Paul is trying to make clear here is that the front door, the doorway to this new life with God in Christ that we are all invited into, me and you invited into, is no longer obedience to the law by human effort and attainment but purely by faith in Christ Jesus alone, nothing else. Okay, so what then does this mean? What does this mean? What does faith mean? And I can imagine that we're sat here and we're like, I've got you know, a fairly decent idea of what faith means. But this word faith, you know, it's banded around all over the place, isn't it? You know, we hear the words, just have faith or you don't have enough faith, or choose faith over fear that we're hearing a lot. Or we might say to one another to just take a leap of faith. And perhaps we even hear the phrase blind faith. And perhaps even some people think Christianity is blind faith. And for some, you know, this word faith, as we talk about faith today, it brings levels of condemnation perhaps. Perhaps when you hear the word faith, you feel guilt all of a sudden, or you see this sort of, this kind of measuring stick in some regards, comparing your faith to somebody else's faith, oh, they've got more than me, you know, in that sort of comparison sense. And perhaps for some in the room, you know, we're carrying the burden that we're not seeing breakthrough in our lives because someone said, well, you've just not got enough faith. So what is faith? What is faith? And we're going to look at Hebrews 11, uh, which I really believe will help us understand 
a little bit more about what faith is and what Paul is trying to teach us, what he's trying to communicate to us in this letter. So if you have a phone or a Bible, go to Hebrews 11. We're going to start at verse 1. Now, on the screen here, um, I, this is Hebrews 11, verse 1. And, uh, and in my studying this week, um, I learned that this verse, this is one of the verses in the Bible that is that's actually really difficult to translate. It's not a, it's not a given, it's quite a tricky uh, verse to translate. And, uh, and if you look on the screen, these are the two, um, the, the sort of two most common translations of this verse. Okay, so the first one, as you can see, it says, faith is the assurance or the confidence of things hoped for, the conviction and assurance of things unseen. And then again, I've given this NIV, ESV, NAS. That's what's written there. Second interpretation. Faith is the substance, the reality of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the King James Version and CEV. Okay, now you might be sat here thinking, yeah, there's not much difference to me, you know, but actually this makes a really, really big difference. And uh, I have a Bible teacher alongside Johnny Hughes uh, called Tim Mackey at the Bible Project. If you aren't following the Bible Project, follow him. It's incredible teaching. And he has spent many, many years, many years studying commentaries um, around this. And, uh, and he is utterly convinced that the translation that is correct is translation two. So I'm going to go with that. But why then does it matter? Why does it matter? Well, the first translation, it uses language that suggests that faith is something we do. It's something we do or something that we muster up or something even that we possess. You know, perhaps the idea that we um, just need even to get into a particular mindset and that we just need to be confident and we need to be assured of things hoped for. You know, if we believe hard enough, we will see a particular outcome. Yet the second translation of faith is based upon the idea that faith is something outside of ourselves. It's not actually based on us or our ability to muster up faith or earn it somehow or that we need to do something to grasp it at all. But faith is based upon the reality, the reality and the substance of who God is and what he has done through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And the fact that he is making all things new and he will come again to completely redeem everything once and for all. Paul in this letter to the Galatians is trying to get away from the idea that relationship with God has anything to do with our ability to attain it, to grasp it, to achieve it. It is all means by grace. It is a gift. It is pure gift. It's all about him 
and what he has done for us. And our job, our job is to receive it and live in the reality, live in the reality and the substance of the grace of God found in Jesus. Now, that is faith. This is faith. And this is what Paul is saying, that Jesus is the reality and substance of our faith, nothing else. And so another word to describe faith, I believe is trust. A much better word for faith is trust. Faith is trusting what God has done for us in Jesus, that he has set us free, that we are free people. And John Barclay, um, a a theology professor, uh, he, he writes this. He says, trust is a better word than faith since it evokes relationship. And what Paul is talking about is not belief in a set of impersonal truths, but personal dependence on what God has effected in the death and resurrection of Jesus. You know, trusting that Jesus has conquered the power of sin and death by dying and rising again and that he is redeeming all things, making all things new. And one day, guys, we believe he is going to come back and he is going to make everything new again, once and for all. You know, it's trusting that our sins are forgiven. Trusting that we are a forgiven people. That our shame is covered that our guilt is released, all because of Jesus Christ, who is God's gift of undeserved grace to us and for us. And all we do is simply trust this reality. That's the truth, that's the reality. Faith is trusting this reality in our lives. And as we do this, we enter in to this relationship with God that's based upon his activity. And this is evidenced, isn't it, by the filling of his Holy Spirit. You know, Barclay goes on to say, and I didn't put it on a slide, he says, the only thing that does, and thus the only thing of ultimate and non-contingent value, is trust in Christ. Not because of the human act of trust, but because what is trusted, that is Christ. Trust takes the achievement element out of it completely. And so we live, and so when we live trusting God, we trust God is who he says he is, and trust and experience the reality of what Jesus has done for us. We begin to live, we experience, we live in this new reality. It changes the way we live. It changes the choices that we make. We live in light of this reality and the hope that all is being redeemed and will be when Jesus returns. That we now live 
eternally with Christ. And as we live in trust, like I said, we, we actually begin to get a taste. We begin to taste the reality that we hope for, that we long for Jesus to come and redeem completely. You know, even though our choices sometimes feel completely and utterly counter to our culture. You know, for example, Jesus tells us to forgive those that hurt us. This makes absolutely no sense at all if Jesus isn't who he says he is. If he isn't reconciling all things, we join in with Jesus' purposes of reconciliation. We, we join in, we live in that reality until all will be reconciled when Jesus returns. This makes no sense if it's not a response to the cross, if it's not a response that we have been forgiven so much. The hope of reconciliation can, can begin now in our lives, empowered by his spirit. Or, you know, giving your money, as Johnny was saying, be, being generous, giving, sharing our stuff, not gripping so tightly onto all of our possessions. You know, this makes absolutely no sense if we're not living in light of what Jesus has done for us, living in light of hope of eternity, that none of this belongs to us anyway. It makes no sense. Or spending time sitting with God, asking God, you know, for his will for your life, releasing control of the future. It makes no sense unless we trust he is who he says he is. You know, there are obviously moments, aren't there, in our lives where we, where we step out in radical obedience. And, you know, we read those stories. They're out there, aren't there? Of people, and we read them all over the scriptures, of people stepping out in radical obedience. But I begin, but I believe it begins by trusting him now in our day-to-day -day lives, trusting him with everything and allowing him to lead our lives into a life dependent upon him, which is, by the way, freedom. A life dependent on God is freedom. That is what we hope for, isn't it? We hope for freedom. We hope for peace. We hope for no, no anxiety. And a life dependent upon God is that. And we can grasp that now. That reality is here now. But you know, it doesn't mean that we get our way in everything. You know, freedom isn't, you know, that we get everything we want. But freedom is trusting he knows. It's trusting he knows, and he is trustworthy. For me, you know, it simply looked like giving over my day, really simple, at the beginning of the day, 
You know, not just saying the words, you know, God, have my day, but in my heart, you know, at the beginning of the day, God, this is what's ahead of me today. These are my concerns. These are the things I'm looking forward to. These are the meetings I have or whatever your day looks like. And giving it with your heart, saying, God, I, I, give, I give over control of this day to you. And I felt him lead me to give over, but be, be attentive to me. So we give over our day at the beginning, but we're attentive. Where is he leading us in our day? How might we trust him in our day? Where are the nudges? Where are the things? Where are the opportunities that he's giving us in our day? And then he shapes our days. And he really has shaped my days. My days sometimes look completely different to what I expected it to look like as I've lived in that posture. You know, he shapes my day which then shapes my week, which then shapes my year. And honestly, he has completely reordered and shaped my life. Those little postures of trust into who he is, it's completely, radically changed and shaped my life. And you know, we were uh, praying a few months ago as a leadership team, and uh, and we were, we pray more than just a while ago, by the way, but one time <laughs> we were praying as a leadership team. And I was asking God, we were just praying, I was like, asking God, you know, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? And I felt God say to me, lead as if I am real. <laughs> lead as if I am real. <laughs> and in that moment, I was like, oh, <laughs> like a, Ugh, you know, but that's the question, isn't it? That is the question, not just for me, not just for us as we lead this church, but for all of us. Do we live as though he's real? Do we live as though God is real? Do we live as though he is with us? That he is redeeming all things, that he is now restoring, that he is good, that he is powerful, all knowledgeable, that he holds all wisdom for our lives, that he wants the best for us, that he is trustworthy. And all he is asking of us, which I believe Paul is saying here, is to believe it, to trust him, to trust what he has done in Jesus. You know, can we identify parts of our lives that make no sense if Jesus, if Jesus isn't who he says he is? That's been a real, like, challenging question to me this week. And I challenge you guys to ask it too. Are there areas in our life that make no sense if he isn't who he says he is? So back to the bungee jump. The challenge for me and the challenge for you is, will we walk onto the ridge? Will we walk onto the edge? and trust God with our whole lives, everything. He knows it all anyway, but we trust him with it. To experience and know more of his reality now that we hope for in fullness in the future. And as I have given more and more access of my life, if I've, as I've handed over my life, and trusted him with it all. I have only experienced what I hoped for, 
which is greater peace, which is greater freedom. Not a perfect life at all, but a life with him. And that's what's on offer for us this morning. It's always invitation. It's always invitation. Will we let go and will we trust him? Shall we stand? I'm going to pray.